Good morning. Good morning. It's always just a test. Judy, you always pass it. Um, man, what a song. Wow, we just sang. I, I love it. It covers, I don't know, like, just from, from Genesis uh, to Revelation. In one, in one song. Like, I, I just love the lyrics of that. It was such a blessing to sing. Um, if you have a Bible, if you want to open up to 1 Kings, we'll be at the end of uh, chapter 19 there this morning. I will be reading out of the ESV uh, Bible, just to let you know. I never say that, but I, I should just let you know, as people are like, what version is he using uh, out of the ESV? This, so this morning, we're going to be in our last sermon uh, in 1 Kings, continuing on with uh, learning from the life of Elijah. Next uh, Sunday, I'm going to be uh, actually in Redemption Edmonton, and Kyle Hunter of Redemption Edmonton, he's coming here. So we're going to uh, kind of visit each other's churches, encourage uh, the the churches that way. And then after that, uh, the next Sunday after that, we're going to be starting a new series uh, about our six distinctives called Identity Shaping. It's like who we are as a church, what we want to be about. And again, as I said before, you'll see they're not that distinct, but that's the language that we use. It's like, hey, every biblical church should really hold to these. But I want us to, to think through uh, who are we and who are we seeking to be? And it's not that we're like, our six distinctives, we're like nailing every single one of them. It's like, but this is the direction we want to be going and growing in. Uh, so that's a little bit about where we'll be going the next uh, little while. Um, it's interesting, even the, the passage that we're going to be looking at here in a moment, I had planned previous to kind of end this series with, uh, in, in 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, chapter 3, as Elijah is taken up into heaven on chariots of fire. And, and that's actually in the email, that's what it said we were going to be doing. But I, but I changed it, because at the end of 19, how Elijah, you'll see, uh, calls Elisha into ministry. I thought that was a, just a natural way to end this series uh, they'll continue to read on and, and see what happens there in the scripture. Um, we're going to be, the passage we're going to be looking at here this morning, uh, so we're going to be looking at Elijah calling Elisha into the ministry. And we're going to use that passage uh, to frame our understanding of discipleship. Like Elijah calling Elisha, we're going to just nail that down, what's happening there. But then we're going to think about what does that mean for us today. We're going to go back and forth between the story there in 1 Kings and then jump to the New Testament. And, and what does that mean for us uh, as well? Because if you think about discipleship, the importance of it, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, there's only one commission. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's it. And Jesus hasn't returned and so that's what we are to be about. So this message will really be framing uh, discipleship as we think through it. The disciple, again, is a learner, is a follower, a follower of Jesus Christ. So the greater that we can understand a disciple, as you're going to see here, talking about the call of a disciple, the cost of being a disciple, the purpose of discipleship, the better. And, and then even as we kind of finish the message here this morning, I'll kind of just summarize this message, this series that we've had here this summer in 1 Kings. So that's where we're going here this morning. If you want to stand with me as we read uh, the scripture, we're going to be in 1 Kings 19, just a few verses, 19 to 21. This is Elijah after he left Mount Horeb, sent by God. Verse 19. So he departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, 
who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, and he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them. And he boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose, and he went after Elijah and assisted him. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. Before going on, I just again like to seek the Lord in prayer. If you want to bow with me. Oh Lord, uh, what a joy it has been already to sing songs to you, uh, to to reflect on who you are, uh, to sing with brothers and sisters of your goodness, your greatness. And now as we, as we have the opportunity to open up your word, we don't want to, we don't take it lightly, Lord. We thank you that we have your scriptures in the English language. We thank you that we currently have the freedom to meet and to gather. And, and I pray, Lord, as we, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, by your spirit, uh, just, just to glorify your name. Lord, just because you're so good and you're so kind and you always, you meet with us in a unique way, Lord. We, again, we need to hear a word from you. I pray you would teach us through your scriptures, Lord. You would, uh, those who do not know you, by your spirit, call them to yourself. Lord, may they see their need for Jesus Christ, Lord. Those who are, who are hurting and struggling, Lord, may they find in you the, the kindness and gentleness of the Savior, Lord, I, I just pray that you would uh, use this word to further your purposes in our hearts and lives. So glorify your name, Lord. Use it now. Use this, this preaching of your word, Lord. So I pray you'd help me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So just uh, as we continue this week, so it's the mantle of discipleship. That's what I titled this message, the mantle of discipleship. Even as we start in verse 19, it's kind of abrupt in the chapter. If you were with us last week, you saw that Elijah, following uh, chapter 18, the, the showdown at Mount Carmel, as he, he kind of squared off against the prophets of Baal, and uh, they had their 450, and they danced around, and nothing happened. And Elijah had his sacrifice, and fire came down, and it was amazing. It was exciting. He prayed for rain. It rained. hadn't rained in three and a half years. And from there, though, uh, uh, Jezebel, that's King Ahab's wife, the, the wicked king and queen in Israel, she's like, I'm going to kill you for what you did to the prophets of Baal because they were slaughtered after that. They're, they're showing that they're, the God they worship was bankrupt. And so Elijah, he kind of like slips down into depression. He's done with ministry. He is like, he's finished. And we looked at last week that God in his kindness uh, fed Elijah uh, gave him water, gave him bread, gave him meat. And then he, he goes to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, and God meets with him there. And he gives him a word, and he tells him, uh, basically, to get back up again, I have work for you to do. And part of the work was to go and anoint Elisha uh, to be a prophet, to take part of the ministry, basically to, like, uh, Elijah, he's going to be your replacement. And so that's, that's kind of the context of which we jump into verse 19 is that, remember, Elijah, he was down. He was given up. He was done. And God, in his kindness, like lifted him back up again and is like, I, I still have work for you to do. 
So that, just remember, like, in verse 19, that conversation is following when Elijah's like, Lord, kill me. And he was lifted back up again. And God had work for him to do. So I want you to see here in verse uh, 19, I want you to see the call of discipleship. Look at verse 19 with me. So it says, so he departed from there. That's Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. He departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. And where was he plowing? Well, we see uh, already in verse 16, it was Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola. <laughs> Abel Mahola commentators or uh, historians are not sure exactly where it is, but it's in Israel. It's near the Jordan River. So basically, Elijah, who is fleeing from Israel and wicked Queen, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, now he was returning back again. He was going back to the place that he fled from. Now he had this calling of God, and he found uh, Elisha. And forgive me this morning if eventually I mix up Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is the prophet. He's anointing Elisha, but I may switch those two at some point. And so what does he do? Uh, he goes to call Elisha, because we already see God spoke to Elijah in verse 16, and he tells him, go to Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Mahola. You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. God decided beforehand, you're going to go get this guy, Elisha. You're, he's going he's to be called into ministry. I just want you to see, like Elisha didn't know that this was happening. God had already decided, hey, I'm going to call this guy to follow you. Because what is Elijah doing? Or sorry, what is Elisha doing? There, see, I, I said it. I'm, I'm mixing it up. Elisha is plowing the field. He's plowing the field with, uh, well, it says 12 yoke of oxen. So a yoke would have been like that, would held each oxen together. So two oxen together with one yoke. So if he has 12, so 12 times 2, quick math, 24 oxen that he had. And he's with the 12th. The fact that he had probably 24 oxen, uh, or him and his family where they're quite rich, quite well off. They had a lot of land, right? Maybe if you don't have much land, maybe you just need one oxen. And what you're doing is like having some sort of wooden uh, contraption that he's standing on as the oxen's pulling and it's breaking up the ground, right, to plant on. And so that's what's happening. He's working the field. But think about this too, right? As if we remember previous, if you're with us, Elijah, when he was talking to God, he said, I'm all alone, there's no one with me. Everyone has turned away. They've broken your covenant. And, and then God says in verse 18, before he sends them on his way, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. God's like, actually, I have my people. I have my faithful in the land. And Elisha is one of them. Like he has to be. He's one of the 7,000. He's going sent to him. And one thing, so for Elijah, he's not alone anymore. But so he goes to Elisha, and he finds him working the land. Think about this. Elisha was just minding his own business, right? Like it's a day like any other, like, like he had always normally done. He, he went to work. He was just working the field. But isn't that, that's how God shows up. When we're just doing what we're supposed to be doing, and God meets with us in, in, a, in special ways at times. God changes our plans, so Elijah called Elisha to follow him, to serve him. We see this uh, at the end of verse 19. Elijah passed by him, and he cast his cloak upon him. Other uh, English translations use the word mantle. 
placed his cloak upon him, placed his mantle upon him. It was a way of calling him to follow him. And we, we see actually later on in, in 2 Kings uh, verse 1-8, his, his cloak or his mantle was like a, a, a coat full of hair. Must have been warm enough. So as he's going past, he throws it upon him. Basically, that was the call to follow him. And even as we use that term, as he throws his mantle upon him or his cloak, that's where we get the term the, taking someone's mantle up, taking their responsibility. That's what he was doing. Elijah had a ministry, and by throwing his coat, his mantle upon him, he's calling him to, like, you're going to start taking this ministry, this responsibility. You're going to follow after me. But again, and again, I just want to, I want you to see, Elisha wasn't expecting that. He's just working the land. He's just doing his job. Friends, that's how we need to seek God's will, by walking faithfully with what's in front of us. Right? You don't find Elisha sitting around doing nothing. Just like, God, what, what would you have me to do? He, he, no, he had, the, he had a job to do. And he was working the land when God came and met him and, and changed his plans. And that's how we need to seek the Lord, by walking faithfully in what is in front of us. And just, just think about how suddenly it came, but it, it happens that way in Scripture often. You think of Moses in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3. Moses was just tending his father-in-law's sheep when uh, God appeared to him by the burning bush. He wasn't expecting it. It was another day like any other. We have Matthew in the New Testament who was just collecting taxes, just ripping people off for their money, right, taking it. And that's when Jesus showed up and called them to himself. And so just unexpected in our sight, but not unexpected in God's eyes. I, I love this quote from commentator Dale Ralph Davis. I just want to share it with you. The call may be sudden, but that does not mean it is unplanned, as though the kingdom of God were a seat of the pants operation bumping along from one nervous synapse to another. Yahweh had already told his decision to use Elisha at Mount Horah, verse 16. So it appeared sudden to Elisha was already settled with God. God had decided all this even before Elisha was given the opportunity of deciding. Suddenness is the wrapping paper in which sovereignty sometimes arrives. I just wonder, that last sentence, I love how he puts it. Suddenness is the wrapping paper in which sovereignty sometimes arrives. We're just, we're being faithful, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, and then God shows up, takes us in a different direction. So Elisha was called by God to follow after Elijah, to learn from him, and to do God's work. Just now thinking about us, how are we called to be disciples? Are we to like go and get our jackets and then throw them on other people? I don't know, does any, like we don't, culturally we don't do that anymore, but think about in terms of the, this is Old Testament, in terms of the New Testament, how are we called to be disciples? Why, by, uh, it's by hearing and believing in Jesus Christ. That's how we are called to be disciples. It's by hearing the gospel and then responding. And again, what is the gospel? I want to continue to share it in this way so it's uh, easy for us to remember. Someone's like, what is the gospel? God, man, Christ response, and then you flesh that out. What does that mean? It means that God is so, he's so amazing. God created everything. He created good. We know it did not stay good. Sin entered into the world, this brokenness, uh, this, this uh, sense of, uh, of falling, of things are not as they should be. But God, he is great. He is mighty. He is holy. He cannot have sin or wrongdoing within his presence, 
That is God, but us, well, we are not holy. I'll speak for myself. I know I am not holy. I know that I I sin often. Even as a Christian, I fall short of God's perfect holy standard. And we all do. We all, in our heart of hearts, want to go our own way, do our own thing, be our own king. And because of that, we are in rebellion against God, and so it breaks the relationship between us and a holy God. Sin gets in the way. We cannot worship God aright. We cannot walk with him aright because we have sin in our hearts, in our life. But God loves us so much, he didn't leave us in that state. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, right, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, taking our sins, the punishment we deserve for our sins, and eternity of God's wrath poured out upon us. He took upon the cross, and then he was buried in the grave, and then he rose again. Like Jesus Christ made a way for sinners to be made right with a holy God, right? By how do you do that? What's the response? It's by faith and trust in Jesus, or more by repentance and faith. It's like as we know there's sin in our life or things that we're doing are wrong, we know this is not pleasing to God, we confess those things to God. And in faith, we look to Jesus Christ and say, yes, his sacrifice on the cross, that, that's, that's for me. And I, I'm going to put all my hope, all my trust, everything in Jesus. And, and it says in the Bible that you'll be forgiven, that you'll be given eternal life. How amazing that is. I just want to really nail this down. How do you become a disciple of Jesus? By hearing and believing in Jesus Christ. A few scriptures along with that. In in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 11, the apostle Paul says this. We need to get this clear, as clear can be. Romans 10, uh, 9 to 11, the apostle Paul wrote this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's like, okay, is it, do you just repeat those words? What's it, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, like there's so much behind that. What that means is he is king. It means that he owns everything. It means you have keys to a house, the house is his. It means if you have money in your pocket, the money is his. If you have dreams and ambitions, those are his. Jesus is Lord. It means he's Lord over everything. You're like, yes, I'm submitting my life. I'm submitting everything I have to him. It's not just repeating a phrase. But it's like if you say, yes, Jesus is Lord, but you're also you're believing in your heart that, yeah, he rose again from the grave, it says you will be saved. I, I love the clarity in Scripture, verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 11, for the Scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I love it says everyone. So if you're hearing this today and you're like, yes, I want to believe, I want to trust in him, then, then call out to him. Repent of you. Say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. Whatever sins he's bringing to mind and, and confess Jesus is Lord. Believe that he died for you. Say, yes, I'm believing, I'm trusting in him. He will save you. That's how you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Some other scriptures of 1 Peter 1, 23, it just, it just says the same language. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. 
We're born again by hearing the word of God and then responding by faith and trust and belief in him. Just has this happened in your life? I'm not talking about, notice it doesn't say, like to become a disciple of Jesus, it doesn't say go to church. To become a disciple of Jesus, it doesn't say, hey, just read your Bible every day. Or maybe just do a number of good things, help people do as much good as you can. No, the Bible says that we're all sinners. And the way to be born again, the way to be made right with God is through, by faith in Jesus Christ, and that is it. Repent and believe. And when you, be, you become a Christian by repentance and faith, you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of him. So uh, Elijah called Elisha by throwing his cloak upon him, and now he was to follow after him. And for everyone, for every one of us, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, or if you are a disciple, it's because you heard the gospel, and you responded in faith, and by responding, you're saying, yes, I'm following. Yes, I'm going to be a learner of Jesus. Yes, I'm I'm running after him. That is the call of discipleship. And friends, I just want to point this out. If that's the call of discipleship, so we're not going around throwing coats on people, we're going around sharing Jesus Christ with people. Because if, if someone, in order to believe, needs to hear what Jesus has done in order to believe, then we need to share what Jesus has done. We need to look for those opportunities. I was encouraged and challenged this week. I was just out for like an early morning walk and I, I ran into this, this guy and he stops me. He says, can I give you a tract? Like a gospel tract. And I said, oh, oh uh, no, I'm a, I'm a Christian. He's like, how long have you been saved? I said, so about 2002. He's like, oh, me, 1990. I'm like, amen, praise the Lord. I love that. He, was, he wanted to tell me about Jesus early in the morning. And he, he said this to me, he said, we need to share our faith. He said, young people are not comfortable sharing their faith. And friend, I need more courage. I'll, I'll share it in a later time. Like, I, I failed this week sometimes at sharing my faith. Opportunities are right there, and I missed it. And I'm like, Lord, forgive me. Lord, give us greater courage. If this is how we make disciples, we need to be about sharing the gospel with those that we can. So I just want to share that with you. I was like, Encouraged and convicted. This guy, 7.30 in the morning. Let's run into him. And he wants to tell me about Jesus. I love, may, we, may we be those people who you're running out, you walk up to someone, whatever else we have to say, we're like, and I want to tell you about Jesus. May we look for those opportunities. So that's the call of discipleship. Elisha was called by Elijah. We are called by hearing the gospel, responding in faith and trust. Now I want us to see the the cost of discipleship, verses 20 to 21, going back there to 1 Kings. The cost of discipleship. And he, that'd be Elisha, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? So it's, it's interesting, right? Again, Elisha was a farmer. What was he thinking in his head? Tomorrow, he was going to be farming. The next day, he was going to be farming. Like, that's what he knew. Like, you work the ground, you break it up with the oxen, you, you plant the crop, you harvest it, you repeat. Like, that's what was on his mind. And all of a sudden, uh, Elijah throws up, throws his cloak on him, 
He runs after him. And I, so I love, he's like, can I go back to kiss my parents? What does uh, Elijah say to him? Go back again for what have I done to you? I don't know why he asked this question, but basically we know like he just turned his whole world upside down. That's what he did to him. That's what this calling was to do to him. And, it, and some people, and I think wrongly so, think of like, look, he's running back to his parents. Was he, was he shrinking from the call that God just put upon his life? And they will, they will quote from uh, Luke uh, 9, 62, where Jesus, talking about the cost of discipleship, there's a number of things he says, but he's, Jesus says this, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And in Luke uh, 9, 57 to 62, there's all these excuses. Hey, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my parents. Hey, Jesus, there's nowhere to lay your, your head, so I don't know if I'm going to follow you. And so in Luke, there's all these excuses made to follow Jesus, but I don't think that's happening with Elisha. Elisha's not making up excuses because we see what he does when he returns back. He's like, I'm actually going to sever everything I have, and I'm going to run after and follow you. But look at, just look at Elisha's heart. This is just a side point. What does he say? Let me kiss my father and my mother. Then I'll follow you. This is a main message to kids or, or, or people. Like we all have, if you have parents, you have parents alive, like take the opportunity to kiss your parents, to hug them, to love them. He's like, I'm going to tell them what's going to happen. Like I'm gone, but first I'm going to tell my parents. Just a little wisdom there for all of us, uh, especially young people, right? When uh, let your parents know where you're going. That's, that's not the big part of the text. I'm just putting that, putting that out there. <laughs> so Elijah, he goes back, or Elisha, he goes back. Look at verse 21. And he returned from following him. There'd be Elijah. He returns from following Elijah, and he took the yoke of oxen. And he sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yolks of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Just like picture that. So there's 24 oxen. There's 12 yolks. Get, get all the yolks off. Break it up. Make a big fire. Kill, that, kill all the oxen. Put them on like the biggest barbecue ever. I guess it, uh, just reading it in some commentaries, like maybe the common person would have had like meat a couple times a year at like the festivals in Jerusalem. It would be like an uncommon thing. So it's, it's like a celebration of what's happening. Again, I think it's pointing to how rich Elisha was or the family that he came from. Like, there would have had to have been more oxen, maybe for other family members, because it wouldn't be like, hey, mom and dad, give them a kiss goodbye, and everything we have for farming is burned. <laughs> I don't think that conversation is happening. I'm just, just reading. I think he, they were so well off. He's like, this is my responsibility. It's gone. I'm not looking back. We, we have that, that uh, language of like burning your bridges. Like military uh, people, when they're, they're going into battle, they're like, no one's going to retreat. We're going to burn the bridges as we cross over them. That's what Elisha's doing. He's like, okay, I'm going to follow Elijah now. This is my previous calling. This is what I was supposed to do. I'm going to burn it all to the ground. So I don't think he was doubting in following uh, Elijah. He was all in. But I want you to see that the call to follow Elijah, how much did it cost Elijah, Elisha? It cost him everything. It cost him his hopes. It cost him his dreams. It cost him everything that he had. He burned his livelihood to the ground. Again, he went from farming to following, 
to serve him. Notice it says this, after, after he burns everything to the ground, then he arose and he went after Elijah and assisted him. He, he served him. He ministered to him. This same language is used of, of Joshua and Moses. If you read through the, uh, Exodus, you'll see like Moses, he's pretty prominent, like receiving the Ten Commandments, but there's a few verses where it just mentions he has this aide named Joshua. Joshua is with him, but he's in the background. But Joshua served Moses and followed him around. And so like what type of service does this look like? Uh, we have like kind of one clue, 2 Kings 3.11. This is after uh, Elijah has already left and they're looking for a prophet of the Lord. And now it's Elisha's time. And Jehoshaphat is looking, verse 11, 2 Kings 3.11, and Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may, we may inquire of the Lord? Then one of the king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Like, that's what he was known for. That's what he was witnessed. As he's following Elijah around, oh, yeah, that guy who just, he just poured water. He served Elijah in menial tasks. That's what he was called to do, just kind of follow behind him, ministering to him. But you think about whatever God calls you to do, if it's behind the scenes, if it's just really humble, really low, you just do it to the glory of God. And uh, Elisha, for a time, was in the background following Elijah wherever the Lord led him. And part of it, I guess, was to pour water upon his hands. So part of the cost of serving is a, is a call to get low. This is interesting to note here too, right? We see this calling at the end of 19, uh, but then we, there's a number of chapters until Elijah is taken. So life happens for however many years, and Elisha is just in the background following Elijah. Even though he was called, you're okay, called to follow, called to do this, but he wasn't called to prominence right away. It wasn't his time to kind of step forward. There's a, there's a time in discipleship, it's time to just get in the background and just be quiet and just follow and just learn, right? We, we receive more responsibility in God's timing and not our own. Again, it's just like be faithful what you have today. What's in front of you, be faithful. And then and if God wants to say, I'm actually, I'm going to give you another opportunity, uh, it's going to be a little bit more responsibility. That's in God's directive. Be faithful what you have today. So I just want you to see the cost of discipleship for Elisha. It cost him everything. It cost him the farm. He left it. It cost him his dreams, his hopes. Like whatever he thought he was going to do was now done. He went from a farmer now to a follower, to a servant. Think of the cost of discipleship for us. Think of the cost of discipleship of, of saying, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Does it, does it cost us everything? I just want you to turn to a, a number of places in the New Testament. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, the calling of some of the first disciples in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20. I'm just sorry, I'm just thinking as I hear the turning of pages, just like think about William Tyndale's life. 
that we can turn in the English Bible. Man, and we, all of us, we can have it to read. The praise the Lord for the, his kindness to us. Mark 1, uh, 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat, and the hired servants, and they followed him. You know, it seems like they're, they're leaving everything and following Jesus. Like, that's what we see. Like, they had their, the, the, the work they were called to do, like, turn, and now they're going to follow Jesus. I think it costs you everything. I just want to look at some other scriptures. Matthew 13, just to the left of Mark. Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. Just a few um, parables that Jesus calls or teaches about the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46. Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which, is, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And he tells the same parable the second time, same point. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. I think that's the cost of discipleship is everything, right? Sold all that he had. Like, it's, it's not like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus, and I'm just going to add Jesus to what I already have in my life, right? I'm just going to, like, whatever my life is, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's like Jesus fish on the back, and I'm just going to follow him. Like, no, it's like I'm going to, I have to actually lay down everything, all my hopes, all my dreams, I'm laying at his feet and I'm saying, God, do with it whatever you want. That's the cost. It'll cost you everything. We need to, be, we need to know what the cost of following Jesus is. It will cost you everything. Just, and just think about this, though. It'll cost you everything to follow Jesus. It'll cost you everything if you don't follow Jesus. <laughs> the cost is everything either way. Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? If you have everything this world has to offer, everything it can give you, all the riches, all the fame, all the success, all the pleasure, and you get all that, but you don't get Jesus, you lose. So here's the deal. It'll cost you everything to follow Jesus. It'll cost you everything not to follow Jesus. The cost also, I just want to think about this a little longer. The cost, it'll change your perspective. It's a huge understatement, the way we look at things, how we view life. Maybe before you become a Christian, you're like your focus is on money, your focus is on self, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, Lord, it's yours. Do with it what you will. It, it changes our perspective. I know when I was a, a newer Christian, my focus was on a basketball that could bounce, and I was obsessed with this little thing. It was my idol. But then God had to change my perspective. I'm like, this doesn't matter. What matters is the people I can connect with. And tell them about Jesus by bouncing this basketball. It's a, it changes your perspective. That's the cost. There's a shines a light of eternity on our lives, on everything we do. If you want to follow Jesus and keep your life normal, like don't follow Jesus. It'll change your perspective, how you look at things. You'll gain an eternal perspective. It'll change your plans and your will. 
Right, we pray that the, in the Lord's Prayer, like uh, a Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven as it is on earth. We're keep continually praying, your will be done, not my will. We need to keep praying this daily. Like even, even as a believer, we have to keep praying this. I know uh, I've, I've shared this before. Like us, when we were in Cochrane in seminary, we wanted to go to B.C., to be closer to my wife's family. That, that was our will. God's like, actually, I want you to go back to Red Deer and join with a group of people to see a church get started. That was God's will. It'll change your plans and your will. Like, think about Elisha. He had to change his career. He was like, I'm a farmer. I know what I'm doing. God's like, actually, you're going to follow Elijah. I pray a number hearing this message today would be called actually into full-time ministry, to church planting, pastoring. Is God like working that in your heart and your life? That his will would be done, not our own. But I also want to point out that the norm is be a light where God has you. Right? Like when we read about Elisha and his story, it's not that everyone should go and burn whatever things they have. And follow the Lord. Maybe even if you're like a student in university at some point, you're like, actually, I feel a call from God to go do this other thing. Don't go burn all your textbooks. <laughs> you're like, I'm, Elisha did it. I'm doing it. I'm burning everything. You're like, no, no, we read the story of what happened to him. We want to take the principle. The cost of following, it'll break your routine, your stability. Following Jesus will. Do you know that? Like following Jesus is inconvenient to your own plans. Can anyone say amen to that? But that's the thing, right? Like, I don't know if anyone has a 10-year plan or a 5-year plan or whatever that is, like, good on you. <laughs> but what, is, what does James say? I just want to point this out to you. What does James say? James in James chapter 4, verse 13 to 15, just read it for you. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's the cost of following Jesus. Is like, I, do, I have plans, but God's will be done. I, I, I don't, like, don't stop planning, but you really don't know. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the cost is you don't get to make those decisions anymore. Jesus does. I remember I, I, I got saved. I'm like, I'm going to go be an accountant, right? I'm, I was going to make lots of money for the Lord, give it away. God's like, actually, I'm going to send you to the middle of nowhere in Saskatchewan. He had to break me and humble me, so I'd say yes there uh, to go to Briarcrest, the Bible college there, and where, where he called me into ministry, where I met my wife. Like, God's plans are better than our plans, though, right? Can we say amen to that? Like, that, that's the thing, right? It, it'll change your plans. It'll change your perspective. It's inconvenient. That's the cost of following Jesus. It leads to a life of service to others. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, the, John's, John and James's mother, they, she's like, hey, can, can they sit on either side of you when it comes to heaven? Like a bold question to ask. And Jesus is like, no, they can't. That position's actually already been decided for. And all the disciples start arguing amongst one another about who should serve or who, should, who is the greatest uh, leader of them all. And Jesus says, hey, like, enough. I'm among you as one who served. 
The greatest among you is the one who serves, and I'm among you as the one who has served all and gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the greatest servant of all. That's a, so the cost of following Jesus is no longer me, myself, and I. If you think about, like, before being a believer, like, hey, that's my focus. If we say before Christ, B.C., me, myself, and I reign supreme. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a believer of Jesus Christ. Then it needs to be God, others, then myself. That's the cost, the cost of following Jesus. We need to have it up front. We need to know what it is. It costs you everything. It's inconvenient. It spoils plans, a life of service. But what do you gain? You gain eternal life with God in heaven. That, that's the most amazing thing. I don't know what you, every year, time is just going by so much faster and faster. We're growing up. We just celebrate 15 years uh, wedding anniversary. I'm like, where did the time go? It's, it's amazing. But friends, we're all going to be standing in front of God in a moment. That's what you gain. Like the, the cost is so great, but you gain life with God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in heaven for all of eternity. Will there be no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death? Amazing. So we see the, the call to Elisha, got the cloak thrown on him, follow him. It cost him everything. We see the call of following Jesus Christ, responding to the gospel with faith and repentance, and it will cost us everything. But we gain everything in doing it. So and just kind of in finishing and closing, I want us to think of the purpose of discipleship. That's a bit of a lie. There's a little bit more than just finishing. But uh, the purpose of discipleship. I just, just think about this. What's the purpose of discipleship? Is just simply God's will to be accomplished. That's it. That's the purpose of discipleship, that God's will would be accomplished. And think about how crazy this is, that God, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful, all holy creator of everything in heaven and on earth and everything you can see and cannot see, yet he uses humans to accomplish his will. I don't know. It's, it's blind. It's mind-blowing to me. So that's the biggest thing. The purpose of discipleship is God's will to be accomplished. And you think about discipleship in our lives, it's that God's will would be accomplished and God would get all the glory. So each of us says, we're like, yes, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I've counted the cost. I've heard the call. I'm going to follow him. Then the rest of our lives, as, as the Holy Spirit, uh, through the, the preaching of the word, the reading, the fellowship of the saints, different events, is like working in us, forming Jesus Christ in each one of us. And that our lives would more and more reflect Jesus to God's glory. And then anything, any good that someone would see in us, they're like, wow, look at this. You're like, it's all God. It is all of God that he would get all the praise. That's the purpose of discipleship is that God would be glorified. And think about the, in, in discipleship, think about Elisha, our own lives. God plays the long game. Or I don't know if you ever heard before, like, uh, it's chess, not checkers. Have you ever heard that, like, when, like what God's doing? But it doesn't work with God. It's more like we're playing checkers, but God created the whole world by speaking into existence, and we only breathe because he gives us uh, the ability in our lungs to do so. We only see because he gives us the ability to see, so it breaks down. 
God's so much greater than just playing chess. He's just in control of everything. He knows what's going on. So when God calls for disciples, he's playing the long game. Think about uh, Elijah and Elisha. Just going back to 1 Kings, I know I'm, I'm, I'm jumping into the New Testament. Going back there to 1 Kings, uh, Elijah calls Elisha to do three things when he meets with him at Mount Sinai in verse uh, 15. Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and you, when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Three things he, Elijah was called to do. He only does one of them. He only anoints uh, Elisha to be prophet. And it's actually Elisha who takes uh, Elijah's calling and accomplishes those other two. And even actually Elisha has a servant who goes and anoints a Jehu to be king later on. That's a, that's a big part of, of discipleship. The purpose is like God has way more to do than we can do. And so he makes, calls other people to be disciples to do his work. Sometimes in terms of even scope and time, like he'll call us to do things that will maybe get started and then we're taking all the picture and God's like, I have other people to complete it. And think in terms of ministry multiplication, uh, if we read in the scriptures, uh, so but when, before Elijah was taken, Elisha said, I want a double portion. I want a double portion of your, your ministry, if you will. And then uh, Elijah says, yeah, if you see what I'm taking, then you'll get a double portion. And he saw Elijah taken up by uh, a chariot of flames. And if we read from what at least what we have recorded, uh, say Elijah did like five miracles and Elisha did ten. He, he did more ministry than Elisha, recorded in the scripture. That's also why God would have discipleship. The purpose is that we would be able to take something so far and then those coming after us can take it further. That's the purpose of discipleship, right? That's, this is my heart and my cry, my prayer for the next generation, those coming after us that would take the call of Christ more seriously than my generation, than the one previous. I'm saying, hey, we're still alive, we still have work to do, but we're praying for those who are coming behind us, that they would walk in greater holiness and greater godliness, a greater walk with the Lord. May we continually be in prayer for our young people, for our children. God would raise up more and more believers in him. Another purpose of discipleship, it also it means we're not alone. That was the call of Elijah's heart. He's like, I'm all alone. They've broken uh, the, the altars. They've broken your covenant, Lord. No one's following you. God's like, actually, I have 7,000. We haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And now all of a sudden he has this ministry partner in Elisha, someone to walk with, someone to be with. Right? It, that's what we need to learn about discipleship. It's not just Jesus and me. Just kind of in, in finishing, in, in kind of finishing this message, just a question like, one, who is discipling you? But more important, who are you discipling? As you think about that, who are you discipling? I just don't, First, don't even start here. Start in your home. If you're married, husbands, discipling your wives, of course, we encourage one another in the Lord. But husbands are called to take that leadership. 
Disciple, encourage one another. If, if you're parents, you have kids. How are you discipling your children? Like, we don't look past that. And I'm saying this as one who's like struggling still to do the best I can. I, I need to keep growing in this area. Then if, you, if you're, maybe if you're single, maybe if you're, if you're um, you don't have kids, just think like who is in your life that you could pour into, that you could encourage in the Lord. And then just, just think about the work that we do here at, at church uh, that we have Josh who's going to be pouring into our young people as a group of young adults serving and helping him. Maybe we'd be praying for that, that we just wanted like the things that God willing, the kids are learning at home, being discipled by their parents, we just want to come alongside and encourage that in the church as we gather. Like same for kids ministry. As we have on Sunday mornings, we have uh, so many uh, wonderful volunteers who are like, I want to tell your kid about Jesus. I want to love them. I'm going to pray for them. They can come alongside what we're already doing as parents to see the next generation made to be disciples. Uh, I'm, I'm going to really flesh this out more in, a, in about a month or so. I'm going to preach on purposeful discipleship. We'll talk a lot more about the details, how we seek to do that in our church. I just wanted you to get a good, clear framework here this morning. The mantle of discipleship, right? The, the call of being a disciple, the cost of being a disciple, the purpose. Again, the purpose is to glorify God. The purpose is to do his will. Just in, in closing this message, in closing this series, I call it learning from the life of Elijah. We have been actually been being discipled through uh, Elijah's life. I know uh, we, many of us, we, we believe in stewardship. What I mean by stewardship, like if someone gives you money or you make money from your job, you're going to be as responsible as you can with it. You're not just going to throw it around. Or if you have a, a home or if you have a car, you have some sort of possession, you're going to take care of it. That's good stewardship. You're not, you're not going to have a car. You're like, I don't know where I parked it. It's somewhere out in the street. Keys are in there. Like, no, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be good. But we also have to have good stewardship from God's word. Right, so even for those who have been coming and listening, maybe this is just the first one you've heard, but over the summertime, what are the things that we've learned looking at the life of Elijah? Right, I, I think we're not meant to be like every time we hear a sermon, have a hole in the pocket and put it in and it goes out, put it in. No, no, we're going to take things that God teaches us and build upon them. Just a few things I think we should remember as we carry on, things learned from the life of Elijah. We saw, so Elijah appears during uh, King Ahab's time. King Ahab was the most wicked king they ever had. He marries to Queen Jezebel, who was so wicked, she just led people into Baal worship. It was such a dark time spiritually. It didn't rain because they were so disobedient against the Lord. Yet we see God's at work there. Doesn't matter how wicked the times are, God's at work. We need to take that to heart. I don't know if you read the news, you, you maybe have your head on, like, what's going on? Like, man, it's, it's dark. It's sad. You're like, yeah, yeah, but God's at work. We rejoice in that. We saw how God provides for his people. He provided for Elijah. How he provided for the widow and her son. A jar and jug that would not uh, fail. How Obadiah, one of Ahab's servants, provided for a hundred uh, prophets of the Lord. God provides for his people. He can meet our needs. We also saw how God is always calling us completely to himself. 
Right? The people were like worshiping Baal and worshiping the Lord. And they're kind of trying to go back and forth between the two. And God's like, no, choose this day whom you will serve. And that's always the call in our lives. Will we serve the world? Go after it. Go hard. Will you serve Jesus Christ and him alone? That's the call we have in our lives continually. May he make us more holy by his spirit. God calls us to persevering prayer. We're often going to be praying for things that we will not see the answer immediately. We need to keep praying, keep calling other people to pray. We need to keep praying for Canada. Keep praying for this country. And we saw today, or sorry, just one more. We saw last week, God is with us in peaks and valleys. In the best of times, God's with us, but he's also with us in the lowest of times. He also helps us up when we're down. Just as Elijah in chapter 19 got, got depressed, got low, God helps us back up. And we saw today, God calls us to the mantle of discipleship, the responsibility of it. We saw the call, we saw the cost, we saw the reasons for it. I just pray that even just rem- remembering some of those things, maybe we were like, you weren't there, like, yeah, I want to take that with me. Whatever it is that like, the Holy Spirit's pressing upon you, take that with you, don't lose it. Let us be good stewards of God's word. If you want to bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh, Lord. Again, I just pray that uh, whatever is from you, may you seal in our hearts. Whatever was just from me, may it fall to the side, fall to the ground. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your call upon our lives. I pray that those who who heard your word today and don't know you, Lord, open their eyes. Draw them to yourself. I pray that all of us who are are believers, who are Christians, help us to grow. Oh, Lord, forgive us where we've fallen short. Thank you that you're so full of grace and kindness. Oh, Lord, continue to lead us on. I just pray, Lord, the lessons that we need to learn from Elijah, may we remember, may we take with us, may you bring to mind in times of need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.